Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel, the first and second chapters. We'll begin in just a moment in verse 4. Before I read the text, though, I I do want to say, um, after the service is over, Josh and Jess will be with Pastor Todd out in the atrium. Would love for you to get a chance to greet them. But our text this morning comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 4 through 20, and then into chapter 2. I'm going to have you remain seated this morning, kind of a lengthy text. I don't want you to pass away in the process. Verse 4, whenever he sacrificed, Elkanah would give parts of the sacrifice to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But he would give only one part of it to Hannah, though he loved her, because the Lord had kept her from conceiving. And because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving, her rival would make fun of her mercilessly just to bother her. So that is what took place year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the Lord's house, Penina would make fun of her. Then she would cry and wouldn't eat anything. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah would say to her, why won't you eat? Why are you so sad? Aren't I worth more to you than 10 sons? One time after eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah got up and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting in the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Hannah was very upset and couldn't stop crying as she prayed to the Lord. Then she made this promise, Lord of heavenly forces, just look at your servant's pain and remember me. Don't forget your servant. Give her a boy. Then I'll give him to the Lord for his entire life. No razor will ever touch his head. As she kept praying before the Lord, Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was silent. So Eli thought she was drunk. How long will you act like a drunk? Sober up, Eli told her. No, sir, Hannah replied, I'm just a very sad woman. I haven't had any wine or beer, but have been pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think your servant is some good-for-nothing woman. This whole time I've been praying out of my great worry and trouble. Eli responded, then go in peace. And may the God of Israel give you what you've asked from him. Please think well of me, your servant, Hannah said. Then the woman went on her way, ate some food, and wasn't sad any longer. Verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, which means I asked the Lord for him. And now chapter 2, she sings a song. Then Hannah prayed, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My strength rises up in the Lord. My mouth mocks my enemies because I rejoice in your deliverance. No one is holy like the Lord. No, no one except you. There is no rock like our God. Don't go on and on talking so proudly, spouting arrogance from your mouth because the Lord is the God who knows and he weighs every act. The bows of mighty warriors are shattered, but those who were stumbling now dress themselves in power. Those who were filled full now sell themselves for bread, but the ones who were starving are now fat from food. The woman who was barren has birthed seven children, but the mother with many sons has lost them all. The Lord, he brings death, gives life, takes down to the grave, and raises up. The Lord, he makes poor, gives wealth, brings low, but also lifts up high. God raises the poor from the dust, lifts up the needy from the garbage pile. God sits them with officials, gives them the seat of honor. The pillars of the earth belong to the Lord. He set the world on top of them. God God guards the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked die in darkness because no one succeeds by strength alone. The Lord, his enemies are terrified. God thunders against them from heaven. The Lord, he judges the far corners of the earth. 
So may God give strength to his king and raise high the strength of his anointed one. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if you're part of this church, you know that I don't know when I started saying them, but there's kind of four sayings that have become a kind of mantra for me, if you will. I love to say that sin does not get the last word, but grace does. Grace gets the last word. Darkness does not get the last word, but light gets the last word. The evil does not get the last word, but good does. And that not even death, thanks be to God, especially today, not even death gets the last word. But the resurrection life of Jesus gets the final word. Now, I think the reason those have become so important to me is because in, in so many ways they encapsulate for me the movement of the gospel, which begins with a, a very human problem. And in this case, it begins with sin or darkness, evil, death. But that very human problem is then confronted with a new divine reality. That sin is confronted with the divine reality of grace. That darkness is, is confronted with the divine reality of light. That, that evil is confronted with the divine reality of good. And that death is confronted with the divine reality of new creation, of, of life. And in each of those, it's not only a human problem that's confronted by a divine reality, but sort of implied in those statements is a whole new reality, what scholars would call a lived appropriation. That there is something that comes out of that. And so it's not just that, that sin is overcome with grace, but now because grace has confronted sin, now there's a whole new way of living possible for us. It's what we embodied today. And when we get to put somebody in the water, we put to death that old so that you can come to this whole new resurrection life. And so truly you leave in a whole new way, no longer bound by sin and death. Thanks be to God. And darkness with all of its systems and structures and overwhelming moments where it seems like everything is kind of falling apart when confronted by light means that now we get to be children of the light. No longer walk in the dark, but walk in the light. Be reflections of that light and live in the hope that indeed, even when it gets foggy and dark and inversions happen in February, we are convinced that as the sun rises in the morning, so too the power and grace and new creation of Christ, the light of Christ breaks through. And we live in that hope. And even when it feels like evil has become so strong and holds humankind captive, we are convinced that, that when it is confronted with the divine good, it now means that you and I no longer have to live in the principalities and powers of evil, but now we can learn to be made complete in the love of Christ. For we are convinced not only does good overcome evil in the end, but it overcomes it daily. And so we who are children of the light, we who are learning to be perfected in love, we are a people who are convinced that the, 
The end of God's new creation is consistent with its means. And so we work daily in all of the places God sends us to participate in the overcoming of evil with good. And because death has been swallowed up in the resurrection life of Christ, now we are people who are able to live in a whole new kind of way, as the song we sing so often says, no, um, oh, no fear in life, no guilt. I know it's there, too many things in my head today. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands our destiny. We can live not free from suffering. We can participate in the groanings and sufferings in the world, convinced that life gets the final word. You with me? Now this is what I would call this. And if you're a note taker, here's your moment. A human problem met with a divine solution leading to a new creation reality. A human problem met with a divine solution leading to a new creation reality. A human problem met with a divine solution leading to a new creation reality. A human problem met with divine solution leading to a new creation reality. That is the nature and pattern of the gospel. And let me tell you a secret this morning, and I'll pull the curtain back just a little bit. I don't want to ruin it, but I essentially do this every Sunday. Every time I come to a text, every time I come to a sermon, I am trying to preach that reality, a human problem met with divine solution leading to a new creation reality. And when I get to teach preaching to students, it's what I'm trying to mess them up to do too. And it may sound kind of simple, it's actually really quite challenging. As I have been thinking about our text from this fall, and thanks, uh, this has been such a fun fall. Those of you who are with us regularly, we've been looking at some of the wisdom literature from the lectionary this summer, or, or this fall, um, the wisdom tradition. And, and I will say, it's been some, I have had so much fun, but it's been hard. If quickly I can kind of walk through it with you. We spent uh, a week on the Song of Songs. <laughs> um, and the interesting part when you read the Song of Songs is you basically get a solution, but you don't really get the problem. The solution is this picture of kind of love in an, all of its freedom and beauty and non-coerciveness and the opportunity to truly share with each other in vulnerability and life-giving ways that not only create this relationship between two people, but even in the Song of Solomon, the whole creation kind of responds to this. It's the solution of, of the beauty of love. And so in some ways it's not there, but we can know that the problem actually is all the ways we really don't love like that. And the ways even in the relationships often in the scripture, they're manipulative, they're, they're broken, they're deceitful, they misuse power. And now the Song of Solomon says, come, woo. Leave all that behind. Learn how to love not only each other, 
But in the Christian tradition, learn to love the God who wants to love you this way. Learn to do that. We spent some weeks in, the Pro- in Proverbs. The problem in Proverbs is that there is a grain to the universe. There is a way that we are supposed to live. But the problem is sometimes we live against that grain and there are voices that lure us into living against that grain. But the good news is that God has woven that grain into creation and continues to speak words of wisdom to us, invite us to come in love and fear and live in awe of God and to learn those ways and to have life work with the grain of the universe. We spent a couple of weeks in Job. Job's kind of the opposite of Song of Solomon. Solomon uh, Song of Songs has the solution, but no problem. Job has the problem, not a lot of solution. As we saw in Job, the problem is, even when we learn the grain of the universe, that doesn't exempt us from suffering. And sometimes people who've done all the right things still suffer greatly. And yet, in the midst of it, maybe the solution is we learn not to judge each other too harshly. And maybe we learn what it means not always to understand God fully, but to experience God in the reality of suffering. And maybe that doesn't give us a whole lot of head knowledge coming out the other side. Maybe it gives us a stability an understanding, a maturity that we could not have without discovering the God who meets us in suffering. We got to look at Esther. Between you and me, that's my favorite sermon I've preached in a long time. Oh, it was good. Oh, but, um, but in Esther, as we saw, the problem is the seeming absence of God. And in the absence of God, we see Haman and the principalities and powers beginning to misuse people. But strangely, the solution is perhaps in ways we don't always see in the providence of God. God has placed us in positions just at the right time where we get the opportunity to be the instrument of God's justice and righteousness in the world. In the last couple of weeks, we looked at Ruth. And certainly in Ruth, the problem is the chaos of life. And again, often the vulnerability and brokenness that we experience. But when we discover that we can embody the hesed, the faithfulness of God to one another, like Ruth does to Naomi. That maybe we can discover what it means not just to care for the outsider, but to be cared for by the outsider. And for somehow in that joining together in God's faithfulness, the redemptive history is being written in our lives together. Oh, that was good, right? Like that that was hard. I have to tell you, it was really hard work this fall to get the human problem matched with the divine solution and now the new lived new creation appropriation. Now I say all that, now we're getting to the sermon. Just kidding. Um, I say all that to say, First and second Samuel, today and next Sunday are the last Sundays of this year, liturgically, and we're ending this period we call kind of common time, and next week we will end with Christ the King Sunday, and then we will enter into Advent in two weeks. But here at the end, it's as though we get to rehearse the reality of all that we've learned together this year. And first and second Samuel is really the story 
of the Davidic kingship. But it's fascinating. Before 1 Samuel tell us the, the story of really kind of three powerful men, Samuel, Saul, and David. It actually roots that story as so much of the wisdom literature has in Ruth and Esther. It roots it in a faithful woman, Hannah. And this whole story begins in what is such an obvious human problem met with divine solution living into a new reality. And so the story begins, as we read, it starts in barrenness. Hannah can't have a baby. And so much of Hannah's story is reflective in many ways of God's people's story. So when you read Hannah's story, if you know the scripture at all, part of your kind of inner alarms have to go off and say, oh, I know this story. This sounds a lot like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And in many ways, that whole pattern gets relived in the story of Elkanah and Hannah and Penina. But it's not just that Abraham and Sarah story. It embodies the story that Israel finds itself in. It's coming out of the period of judges. It's a time of unrest. There's uncertainty. Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. And not only that, there's really no future for them. There's nothing out ahead of them. They can't make life work because of the tribes around, in particular the Philistines, who keep pushing them around. And like Penina making fun of Hannah, the Philistines mock the Israelites. You have no future. You have no fruitfulness. You have no ability to make life work like we do with all our bronze. <laughs> right? And so Hannah, like God's people, come and pour out, she pours out her heart to God in ways that cause Eli to think she might have lost it. But she's simply lamenting, believing like God's people that God has some future for her that she cannot see, but that she loves and desires and wants to live into. And her very human problem is met with the very divine reality of a God who hears. In fact, she will name her child, God hears. And God knows and the reason I included the song today is because the song that she sings is a celebration of a new reality. It's not one, Pastor Ryan, that I think we're going to set to music anytime soon. <laughs> Although there's some cool verses in there about some people getting what's coming to them. He brings down the mighty. You can kind of hear her sing, Elkanah. She has caused so many tears and now God causes her tears. Ha, 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 ha. But God exalts the lowly. That's the key part of the song. Exalts the lowly, exalts the lowly, brings them off the garbage heap, the text says. And by the way, her song and her story not only becomes Israel's story in the past, it becomes Israel's story into the future. For in two weeks, we will step into Advent. And this will be the story. Israel in bondage, mocked by Rome. In the days of Caesar Augustus, all the world would be taxed and moved around and with no real hope and no real future. And in Luke's telling of it, 
There's an old guy, Zechariah, and an old woman named Elizabeth. And guess what? They can't have a baby. A human problem of a closed future met with the reality of divine presence that leads to a new prophetic future called John the Baptist. Of course, over the next few weeks as we tell that story, it's not just the story of an old couple having a baby. It's also the story of a virgin who conceives. And in Jesus, God will meet all of humankind's problems and take them on, incarnate those problems in God's self and meet them with the divine solution of grace and light and goodness and eternal life and bring us through into a whole new reality, a new creation. And so every Sunday, text after text, I hate to ruin it. We have a human problem met with the divine solution that leads to new creation reality. There's one other piece though, and it's kind of challenging. It's the question of how does that human problem, divine reality, new creation solution, how does that actually meet with us in this moment? That's tricky. That's usually the part that gets you emailed the next week, <laughs> both good and bad. For this morning, I, I, I can't control how some of you, how the Lord speaks to some of you in this today. For some of you this morning are Hannah, completely out of resources to make life work. Exhausted, tired, not sure if there is a blessing into the future. And so as you came today, you came really only with burden and lament. Some of you have been there and you have been encountered by God's divine solution. Record your testimony and let us know about it. For the encouragement of the group in group A. But for you, God has moved. And now the question is not, has God moved? The question is, now are you ready to move into the new reality that God's movement creates? For like Abraham, who could not hold Isaac, but had to even give Isaac back to God. That movement of God is not just for your blessing, but for Hannah to sing a new reality, for Elizabeth and Mary to sing a new creation, and for us to enter into all new ways of seeing and being with others in the world. And this morning, I can't help but kind of hear it for us as a community I feel like collectively we're more in group A than group B probably today. Still trying to figure out what 
the last 20 months of upheaval and disruption mean for not just College Church and New Creation Community Middleton, but what does it mean for the Church of Jesus Christ in the world moving forward? Leadership that feels kind of uh, worn out of options, uh, out of creative ideas. Unable, certainly in our own strength, to give birth to what Christ wants to do in us. Full of laments, hearing the whispers. But the good news is that being in Hannah's place is not a bad place to be. For here is the rhythm of the gospel, the human problem met with the divine reality. That leads us to new creation. And so this morning, I, I know we got to go. But this morning, I, I would love to just give you a, a moment to respond. I know we've already gathered around these altars in some ways, but, but perhaps this is one of those mornings where you come um, with more sin and darkness and evil and death than you come with grace and light and goodness and life. It is okay to come to the temple. So burdened you seem drunk to the rest of us. So grieved and carrying heavy things. Because Christ is here. And Christ meets those human realities with a whole new divine reality that allows us to leap forward. And so if you need to pray, I invite you to do that this morning. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I'd fall apart. You're the one who guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense. My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Grace is found, is where you are. And where you
God, we need you today. We find ourselves in places that we cannot remake on our own. A future that in our own strength is closed. And so we come with all of our human problems, um, but rooted in the singular human problem that we cannot be on our own what you have called us to be. And so we come and pray today that our very human problem would be met by your divine solution. May your grace be greater than our sin, your light greater than our darkness. May your good overcome our evil. And may your life overcome our deathliness. We pray, God, for a reversal, an overturning, a new creation. Where the old that mocked and burdened is destroyed. And the new that rejoices and gives life and lifts up off the garbage pile that it would come and reorient all of life. And so we weep with Hannah today, but we also sing with her today. We pray with Hannah today and we hope with her. We weep with her but we also rejoice in who you are and how you move. So move in those today who've come to pray, move in all of us with the one in this room whose burdens are so heavy that only you know how deep, only you know how to interpret the cries and the moans. Bless them today, we pray. Make all things new. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour 
to go in just a moment and get children and all those kinds of things and we want to come back this afternoon and celebrate Janella. I know the worship team has one more song and if you want to stay and worship with them about how the lion and the lamb overcomes all things, do that. But as we're sent this morning, we're sent not just as people who have brought burdens, human problems encountered by divine solutions, but we are sent as people who embody a new creation, who sing the song of Hannah. And that's why this benediction is for us this morning. And now unto him who by his power at work within us is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, to him be glory in us, his church, and in his son, Christ Jesus, now and for all generations. And God's people said, amen. 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 Go in his peace.